Welcome to Murder and Mimosas. Just a quick disclaimer before we get started. Our show is Murder and Mimosas. It's a true crime podcast. This means that we do discuss crimes, including but not limited to disappearances, murder, and sexual assaults. All our episodes are told with the respect of the victims and the victims' families in mind. We strive to ensure that we provide factual information, but some information is more verifiable than others. With that, grab your mimosas and let's dive in. Welcome back. I'm Shannon. And I'm Danica. Today's case is about Cassie Joe, and is a bit spooky, so grab your mimosas and settle in. It's a brisk fall day in Idaho. Cassie Joe, who is 16, has agreed to spend the weekend at her aunt and uncle's house to house sit and dog sit. Her mother picks her and her boyfriend, Matt Beckham, up from school and drops them off around 5.30 at the house she'll be at for the weekend. Cassie Joe and Matt are excited to have free time to themselves in this large secluded home. She gives Matt a tour of the two-story house as well as the basement, and the two settle in to watch movies. Around 8.20, two classmates, both 16, Brian Draper and Tori Adamant, stop by the house due to rumors of a party. But they were just that, rumors. There's no party happening here. But they ask for a tour of the house, and Casey Joe, or Cassie Joe, sorry, is glad to give them one. They begin to watch Kill Bill Volume 2 with Cassie, Joe, and Matt, but before long, they decide to head out to the theater and watch a movie around 9.30. While watching the movie, Cassie, Joe, and Matt hear the dogs growling at the top of the stairs down towards the basement. They hush the dogs and they continue watching the movie. They also hear the noises coming from the basement. The two try to ignore the sounds, and they continue the movie until the power goes out. The two are a little startled, so they sit in the dark for a little while, and some of the power comes back on. Cassie Joe asks Matt if he can spend the night. He calls his mother, and she tells him no. She will, she will let Cassie Joe stay there, though, if she wants, but Cassie Joe decides she needs to be responsible and stay and do the job that she was hired to do. So Matt's mother picks him up around 11.15. The two say their goodbyes, not knowing it's going to be their last one. Cassie Joe, now home alone in a large unfamiliar house, is still hearing noises from the basement and loses power again in the house. Matt calls later around 12.30, but she doesn't answer. Matt calls Tori and Brian after he leaves to see what they're up to, and they're whispering, they can't talk um, because they're in a movie. This girl is brave. I don't care how much you're paying me. If the power goes out, I hear noises, and the dogs are growling. I am not staying by myself. No one sees or talks to Cassie Joe again. Matt calls 15 times on Saturday, but doesn't hear from her. Her mom calls, too, and can't get a hold of her. I'm not judging her mom, but that seems a little odd to me that her mom can't get a hold of her. It doesn't go check. Maybe that was a relationship they had. I don't know. Yeah, I thought that was a little odd, too. But maybe, I think, the worst first, so I don't know. So Matt decides to hang out with Brian and Tori Saturday night. They asked Tori to, he asked Tori to take him by to see Cassie Joe because he can't get a hold of her. But Tori says he doesn't have the gas money, and no one hears a word from her all weekend. 
Sunday, her aunt and uncle return home around 1.15, and her 13-year-old cousin is the first in and finds her on the floor, covered in blood, and she's dead. Her aunt, in sheer panic, calls 911. The police first question Matt since he was on the he was the last one to see her. He is quickly ruled out. He recounts the night and mentions that Brian Draper and, and Tori Adamick came by and of course police want to talk to them. They tell the police of the short visit and they decided to go to the movies. The police ask what movie? Both say pulse. Neither boy can recount what occurred in the movie or where they even sat in the theater or the theater, I'm sorry. In fact, most of the knots pretty vague. After the second interview, a detective goes to Draper's house and searches the residence with his parents' consent. They find a knife sheath, but no knife. Police ask Draper about this, and he says it's his friend's, and he probably has the knife, but he doesn't really know. Okay, so they bring Draper in for a third interview, and he says, they did go to the house and they unlocked the doors. They just wanted to go back and just scare them. He said they wore masks, black clothes, gloves, and carried knives. He says after Beckham left, they went upstairs because he thinks they're just going to scare Cassie some more. But Adamick stabbed her. He thought he was just joking and playing around. And then he realized he was actually stabbing her. He also says that Adamick threatened to kill him if he ever told. He agrees to show police where they buried the evidence, which, uh, which is at Black Rock Canyon. The police head out with Draper and his father, and they recover with the boys buried. They dig up matches, a pair of black boots, a pair of fingerless gloves, a melted bottle of peroxide, a mask, a dagger knife with a sheath, a silver and black-handled knife, a small dagger knife with a sheath, a videotape, a serrated folded knife, a red and white mask, a single black glove, a pair of partially burned gloves, a garbage bag, a dress shirt, a white sock, as well as a gray one, and a black cord. Draper obviously isn't that bright because the most damning thing they could have in this videotape, or in, is this videotape. So let's listen to a little bit. The first is the night before the murder when you hear them talking about unlocking the doors and then afterwards you hear after they've killed her. There should be no law against killing people. I know it's a wrong thing, but hell, hell, you restrict somebody from it, they're going to want it. We found our victim and Saz maybe. She's our friend, but you know what? We all have to make sacrifices. Our first victim is going to be Cassie's daughter. She's going to be alone in a big, dark house out in the middle of nowhere. How perfect can you get? I, I mean, like, holy shit, dude. I'm horny just thinking about it. Hell yeah. I was 9.50, September 22nd, 2006. We know there's lots of doors. There... There's lots of places to hide. I locked the back doors. That's all I locked. Now we just gotta wait. I just killed Cassie. We just left her house. This is not a fucking joke. I'm I stabbed her in the throat and I saw her lifeless body just disappear. Dude, I just oh killed God. Cassie. Oh, 
Oh, fuck. That felt like fucking real. Uh, I mean, we'll buy so fast. Shut the fuck up. We gotta get our act straight. Okay. This does not sound like a boy that had no idea what Cassie that Cassie was going to be murdered. Also, that was just... Bleh. I know. Not to mention, you kind of get a sense of how young and immature they sound. It's kind of like a game to them, and they don't even realize that there's consequences. They just... I don't know. It's just crazy. So these two boys actually had a kill list, it turns out. The two also loved films and filming themselves, of course. We didn't put all the films in there, but they have a lot of films of themselves just talking randomly like that. They had recorded themselves earlier on that day of the of planning this murder in the library at school and how they were gonna how their plan was to kill Cassie. They talk on video about attempts to kill other people too, um, but they weren't home alone and they weren't successful in those. So Draper does finally admit to stabbing Cassie, but he says that Adamick made him stab her too once they got in there. They told the police that they went to her aunt's and uncle's house and asked for a tour. While in the house, they unlocked the back door so they could re-enter the house later. The two entered the basement and tried to lure Matt and Cassie down. They threw and broke two ashtrays on the stairs in hopes that that they could lure them down and they would investigate the noise. When that didn't, when that didn't happen, they came or come to check things out. They cut off the power and waited. This still not did not get them downstairs. This is by the way, how they had had it all planned out due to watching their slasher movies. Matt eventually had to leave. And that is when he called to see what they were doing. The two knew it was only Cassie in the house now. They made more noise while in the basement, but she failed to come down even after the power went out again. The two of them wearing wearing black gloves, clothes, and masks inspired by the movie Scream, they said, decided that they must go after Cassie since they can't lure her down to the basement. When they got upstairs, they began slamming doors to scare Cassie, yet she doesn't come check out what's going on. The two descend up the stairs from the basement. Once upstairs, they begin slamming doors to scare Cassie even more around the house. Yet she still doesn't come to see what's going on. They find her in the living room and they begin stabbing Cassie. She was stabbed at least 30 times. You can't imagine the fear this girl must have had. All of these noises, home alone in a house she isn't familiar with, in a remote area. It really is like a slasher movie. I know this is horrible. I mean, what this girl went through and by two boys that were supposedly her friends. I just, I mean, you just watch TV and you think these things don't happen and how scary it is. But I just feel horrible for this girl. So these two boys had separate trials, but both were sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole in 2007. In 2016, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional for a minor to receive a sentence to life without parole. However, in 2017, the Idaho Supreme Court ruled to uphold the teen's convictions, and both boys are still in prison without the possibility of parole. As they should be, because you could tell this is premeditated. They planned this out in advance. 
leaving the doors unlocked so they could get back in, trying to lure her down. I mean, this wasn't like they had a wild hair idea. I mean, even then, they probably should have life in prison without parole. But this was planned out, and they knew what they were going to do. And they didn't have any remorse in that video. No, they didn't. And she wasn't their first victim. They had others, but they just couldn't get them alone. The only thing I will say where I could see what the Supreme Court might understand or might think is, you know, your brain's not form- or formally formed until 25. And you can hear in the videos how immature they sound. They just don't sound like they have a clue, like they're just two really dumb kids, which they were, but still. You, but you at have that age, to, you know yeah, the difference you, in right and wrong. You have and to murder. Know. I mean, they even said murder mm-hmm. shouldn't be illegal. Like, they yeah. know it's illegal. They they're do. fully aware. So it's not like their brain capacity is of a two-year-old where they don't understand mm-hmm. that that's a law and that's bad and that's illegal. So they know. That is and true. they chose to ignore that. And I couldn't find any evidence of mental health issues for either one of them or that they had had troubles or issues in the past. So, but they just, from what I could read, they were very obsessed with serial killers. So I guess we should watch out. But um, I mean, me too, <laughs> but I've never thought about killing someone. Me either. And they were very obsessed with slasher movies, especially Tori was very obsessed with Scream. So. You know, I like a good film, but I'm not trying to act it no. on my own. No, and it's like they weren't in reality to know that stuff was fake. It was not real. Yeah, nobody was actually dying. <laughs> you don't make a movie and really kill people in it. That's not how it works. No, I did think that as a kid. Not going to lie. <laughs> oh, like, Lordy. These people are dedicated. They're mm. dying for the cause. But they're, they weren't. <laughs> and I guess these kids didn't get there. I was, by this time, by 16, I knew it was fake, but, you know. Oh, thank God. So even 14 years later, uh, when they speak with the sheriff uh, that was there for Cassie Joe, uh, this is what he had to say when he reflected back when he was asked how he felt about that case years later. He didn't do anything but attend school. He didn't do anything but be friends with somebody else and just about everybody. It was tragic for the two parents. I was the one that ended up telling the parents that their child is going to be charged with murder. One was a no-win situation for us. Who wins? Who wins? It's what's in the best interest of the child. What can we do to make sure this child gets corrected for this behavior to go on? And even... I totally agree with Judge McDermott saying, I think you'll kill again. It sounds like the sheriff really, like this case took a toll on him. Even 14 years later, he seems to remember a lot about Cassie Joe and the boys that murdered her i would think you would have to i mean that's got to be shocking in that town i mean for one to to see this poor girl with all those stab wounds but to know two teenage classmates did that in your town and i don't think this is a town with a lot of murder or anything or crime so i'm sure that would really have to stick with you yeah and i know that um in this he was retiring so i'm sure that it may have been one of the more 
infamous or prominent cases in the town when it happened and probably even after the fact. I mean, 14 years is a long time, but crimes like this don't happen very often in a town like that, it doesn't sound like. No, that's true. And it had a lot of media coverage, so I'm sure you, you just don't forget that. No, but it does sound like he found ways to really be constructive with what he learned. And he seems to, I mean, he said that he felt like the judge made the right call in life in prison without parole. But he sounded how, like he had some sympathy for the boys, I mean, especially for their families, which I feel like if I saw Cassie Joe, I don't know how much sympathy I would have for those who killed her. No, but you do have to think of the boys' parents. They lost their kids, too, essentially. I mean, they can see them, but they don't, they're not there for holidays. They're not there for anything. So they essentially lost their sons, too. Yeah, it is really a tragic case all around. If you would like to talk to us about this case, we can be found at murder.mimosas on Instagram and Twitter, Murder and Mimosas podcast on Facebook. If you have a case that you would like us to cover, you can send it to us at murder.mimosas at gmail.com. In the meantime, have a mimosa on us. Bye. Bye.